open and receptive to what God has for you. God has something for you every single day. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Aren't you glad for God's mercies? Um, if you're going through a difficult time, uh, probably somebody else as well, but just put your trust in our wonderful, wonderful Lord. Uh, somebody who's been coming here for quite a number of weeks, Randy Meckes, he comes with, uh, sometimes wife is able to be with him, uh, but also their son, Aaron. Uh, Aaron's the one who's blind, been blind since birth, and uh, yet he, he loves the Lord. Well, Randy had some really, really difficult time this past week. He goes to physical therapy. He fell. When he fell, he hit his head. He had to get some stitches. Um, he also uh, had something with the leg issue where he had to put a splint on there. He broke his finger, uh, injured his kidney. Um, when he went home, it seemed like there was some, I guess, the visiting nurse said, looks like you have a blood clot. So they rushed him back to hospital again. I guess that's okay. That's only half the story, okay? That all happened this week, all right? Would you pray for Randy? He really needs our encouragement. I had time talking with him, prayed with him last night on the phone. Uh, but uh, he likes Victory Baptist Church and, you know, just, you know, wishes he could be here. But they told him he wouldn't be able to drive for maybe two months. So we're, we have to kind of support him during this time, prayer support. But uh, we also, I put his address on the back, on the bulletin board. And if you'd be, uh, pick up a card or something like that, write a little note in there, praying for you, something to encourage him. Uh, I think that would be appropriate. When people are going through difficult times, we're called upon to help them. And uh, you know the scriptures, uh, we're called upon to weep with those who weep. And, Rejoice with those who rejoice. And in this time, uh, I wouldn't say he's weeping, he's not crying, but it's, it's a tough time. And he knows that God can do this to help him. And I told him, I said, well, you can have more time to pray for me and pray for Victory Baptist Church. But pray for Randy. All right, I'm going to open up in prayer, and then I'll turn it over to Larry. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful grace and mercies. Reminded of the scriptures that I mentioned earlier. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We come before you thanking you for the freedoms that we have. We gather together. Thank you, dear God, that uh, we have this uh, privilege of being part of your program, the local church. And we pray for your guidance and leadership and direction for the future victory. We put this into your hands. We entrust this to you. We pray that you would uh, provide in your time, provide materially, yes, uh, financially, but way beyond that, spiritually. And we pray that uh, people, every person here, would be staying faithful to you and wherever you've called them to be. And we lift up others who are going through difficult times, certainly those in persecuted countries and those in Ukraine. And we pray for the believers there especially, uh, that they would encourage them with your wonderful promises and we pray for randy and uh, i do pray lord that you'll bring healing to him and help him to just be close to you during this time knowing that you're there with him you haven't forsaken him even though these circumstances seem to be pretty tough 
And I do pray that believers here would reach out to him. Some others are going through difficult times, and we pray for them. Uh, thank you, Lord, for uh, the opportunity we can be together and sing praises to you and to hear the preaching of the word in fellowship. May we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Larry, you come, please. Okay, for our first song, I ask you to turn to number 39. Please stand for this first song. Praise him, praise him. You may be seated. Turn number 57. Be thou exalted.
Okay, for our next song, I ask you to turn number 187, I Am Adopted. And after this, John's going to come up and read some scripture. Good morning. Hope you folks are doing well. Um, we had two scripture readings this morning. For the first one, take, uh, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Those are wonderful songs we just sang. I hope and pray to God that you're in God's family. That's one of the things that I rejoiced in when I got, first got saved because I came from a broken family and um, to know that I had a heavenly father that was watching over me. Uh, my father had left. And I just praise God that he took care of me. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to be reading out of that chapter. Verses 28 to 31. Verses 28 to 31. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it is on page number 821. 821. Uh, then, just, just so you know, we'll be going to 1 Peter chapter 5. Just so you know. Uh, in the Pew Bible, 897. So, Acts chapter 20. Verses 28 to 31, follow along as I read, please. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember 
that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Acts chapter 20, 28 to 31. Now over to 1 Peter chapter 5. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 5, and I will be reading verses 1 through 5. Again, the Pew Bible number is 897. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Please follow along. The elders which are among you, I exhort whom also am an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. May God bless his word. Before we sing this next hymn, which is 155... And the title of that hymn is, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. I want to read just a brief history of this hymn. How many of you have read the history of the hymns and then it means something even more? I just got this uh, from somebody who sent it to me this week. Charles F. Wiggle was an itinerant evangelist and songwriter. One day he returned home after preaching an evangelistic meeting and found a note from his wife. It simply read, I'm leaving, Charlie. I don't want to live the life you are living. I want to go the other way to the bright lights. And to add insult to injury, she had taken their only daughter with her. That night, Charlie Wiggle wandered the streets alone, finally winding up at the end of the pier at Biscayne Bay, where he contemplated suicide. However, despite all that had happened to him, he vowed to live his life for Jesus. Approximately eight months later, he met his estranged wife in Los Angeles. She mocked him by telling him of the sins she had committed. Sadly, a couple of years later, she lay on her deathbed. Her daughter was by her side. Evidently, she was remembering the better life she had lived with Wiggle. She turned to her daughter and said, If you know where your father is, please ask him to pray for me and see if God can forgive a sinner such as I. About five years later, Charles F. Wiggle sat down at the piano thinking about all that God had brought him through. The music and words began to flow, and he penned the following lyrics. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms about me. 
and he led me in the way I ought to go. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love, but I'll never know just why he came to save me till someday I see his blessed face above. God brought Charles Wiggle through his dark moment and transformed it into a beautiful encouragement for fellow discouraged followers of Jesus. He can and will do the same for us as we go through our dark moments. I don't know, I can't speak for you if you're going through a dark moment. Maybe you're going through one now or perhaps in the future. But the testimony of this man where God, by his Holy Spirit, helped him and made it through. And God will help make you, get you through the trials that you have. Sometimes I've interacted with people and they've said, you don't understand, Pastor, the trial is so, so deep and so hard. I can't, even, I can't even say it in words. I can't even tell people about it. You might have a burden like that. But cast your burden upon the Lord. He cares for you. So we're going to sing that. And may we remind him about how much he does care for us. Larry, you come, please. 155, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Please stand as we sing this song for our last number 155. Thank you. you. May be seated. And children are dismissed.
ask you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, the chapter we'll be looking at is chapter 3. And as we are looking at that passage of Scripture, we'll read not just verses 6 through 10, but I'll read the preceding verses as well. For those of you that have been following along, you, you know and understand that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that was established under very trying circumstances. The persecution was so fierce that the Apostle Paul could only stay a brief time, and he had to be rushed out of that city for basically for fear of his life. And, and now the Apostle Paul is writing back to the church some encouraging words. When I started out this series a few weeks ago, I mentioned that the church of Thessalonica is really a model church. It's not perfect. They still are growing. They're really actually a rather uh, young church. We don't know exactly how old they are, but not very old, very, very young. And yet they really have been a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul as he hears some phenomenal news from Timothy. And uh, if you study a little bit about the life of Timothy, you know that Timothy was one of those assistants that he could be trusted. In fact, there's a number of passages that talk about how God used Timothy in place of the Apostle Paul to encourage people. So let me read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 3, and then we'll conclude with verse, verse 10. Right. First, First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distressed by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy with, wherewith we joy for your sakes before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would help us to have our minds on your truth. May your spirit guide uh, my words and my thoughts, and may your spirit uh, work in the hearts of each individual that has come today. Lord, 
I pray that if there's someone who does not know you personally as their Savior, they do not have the assurance of salvation, I pray that today they would accept you. Please, dear God, I pray that you would help us to understand your word and then to put it into practice, and we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you maybe have never heard of a title called Supporting an Endangered Species. Uh, well, I want to explain a little bit about this. Now, probably all of you are familiar with the idea of an endangered species, and I looked up some definition. This is a species of animal or plant, plant at risk of extinction. I see you already know that. You know that definition. But we're going to talk about a different kind of endangered species. Um, we're not going to be talking about an endangered frog, nor the grizzly bears that are supposedly in danger. Uh, and we're not going to be talking about people who have CSS. You know what CSS is? It's common sense syndrome. And I'm thinking that's an endangered species today. People having common sense. Well, a few years ago, I read a book. It was actually called Endangered Species, and it was talking about the subject that I'm going to be speaking about this morning. Endangered species I'm referring to, and I'm going to kind of point your attention to, is pastors. It's an endangered species. Now again, we're using this as a metaphor a little bit. Uh, a number of years ago, I got a book uh, written called The Vanishing Ministry. Woodrow Cole wrote this, and it's several decades ago he wrote it, so some of the st statistics have changed a little bit, unfortunately not for the better. But when he wrote this book, he said there were 66,000 closed churches in America, another 62,000 are presently without pastors. Between 3,500 and 4,000 churches close their doors each year in the United States. It's not gotten any better, by the way, in case you wonder. Just a little history of, of uh, just America and Christianity and colleges and so on. The first institution in American higher education, Harvard College was founded in 1636 for the express purpose of training pastors. Until 1790, more than half of its graduates went directly into the ministry. Now, while the majority of college graduates of the 17th century entered the ministry as preachers or missionaries, this percentage dropped to 50% in 1750, 22% in 1801, 6.5% in 1900. Among freshmen who entered college in the fall of 1980, so I realize this book goes back a little bit, less than half of 1% indicated clergy as their probable career occupation. And like I said, it's really not getting any better. Uh, someone did some research and said of 20 different occupations that Americans admire most, nine, number 19 on the list is Protestant ministers. Another site said 
10 of the most respected professions, pastors are not on that list. Now, when I'm interacting with people who don't know me, I'll start talking to them and asking them a few questions. And, you know, just light conversation, whatever. And then every once in a while, it'll come around to, so what do you do? Now, I haven't disclosed what I do. I only generally identify myself as pastor, unless it's with the congregation. And, or perhaps I may do this, I'm going in the hospital and say I'm pastor so-and-so, so it makes it easier to get in and visit people. But generally, I don't do this. And when I say uh, I'm a pastor, I have some very interesting remarks. I think, at least the body language is, there's some measure of guilt on their part. They're afraid they said something that, oh, no. I still remember walking into a butcher shop. I was dressed up. I'd come to church, something like that, pick something up. I'm standing there. I didn't know anybody in the butcher shop. And these guys are talking back and forth. I had no idea what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, they look at me, and they ask me if I was a policeman. I said, no. I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, no, that's worse. I suspect they were saying some things that they did not feel. I mean, guilt was there, perhaps. I didn't ask them about it. I've had some amazing reactions, like, oh, that's really nice, to like, I didn't even know how to respond. Very rarely, and I'm not saying it doesn't, very rarely do you have the, a genuine, sincere respect that's coming out from the average person. Now, if it's a believer, generally speaking, it's very positive. Hopefully it would be. And there certainly are some religious people feel that way. But it's not a popular profession. And I realize this introduction may be a little bit lengthy, but I, I just want you to know that from the start, that the message I'm going to be bringing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is not an indictment or criticism of Victory Baptist Church, okay? That's not, not going to be my point. Uh, many, if not all of you, have been very encouraging to my wife and I in the six months or seven months that we've been here. Uh, many of you have said some very complimentary things about Pastor Stevens, who ministered here for many, many years. So it's not a criticism of, of Victory Baptist Church, and it's not a message where I want you to start feeling sorry for me uh, or feel sorry for pastors. That's, that's not the point of this message. But I do believe that believers need to understand that there is a huge, huge problem in this area of finding pastors. Now, pastors do go through some trials they go through some difficulties. I remember uh, a number of years ago as pastoring, and uh, I had a fellow who I knew very well. He said, before the morning service, he said, Pastor, you don't look so happy. So I said, I'll be all right. I don't remember what I said because it was right before the service. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, I should be happy. There's no question about it. But I was going through between either five or six emergencies during that particular week. Now, emergencies happen, I realize this, and we have no control of those. 
I, I was preaching at a time, and the man was sitting like over, over this area where Larry was. He just died right there in the service before I preached. And I was pretty certain he died. I called a doctor, nurse, and some people, and they took him out. And he did. He went to heaven. Praise the Lord. He knew the Lord. I had another situation where I was teaching Sunday school, and somebody came up to me after Sunday school, right after Sunday school, and they said, Pastor, Pastor, did you know Pastor Joe Thompson was just murdered last night? Pastor First Baptist Church in Easton. I knew Pastor Thompson. He was a friend of mine. Now here I am. I have to go from that news into the pulpit and not being able to say anything because I thought there could have been maybe another Joe Thompson. There's a matter of disbelief. I maybe didn't hear things right. But I'm going into the pulpit hearing that a friend of mine had just been murdered and still be able to keep my composure. Sometimes these things happen. One of the tough ones that I had was I was working as an assistant pastor, and the pastor I was working with had, had served there very faithfully, and he calls me one morning, Sunday morning, and he says, Paul, you're going to have to teach the Sunday school and preach this morning. And I said, why are you sick? He ne never got sick, but that's the only reason why I thought he couldn't be there. He says, no, my wife walked out. Oh, so well, get her on the phone. Let me talk to her. I mean, that was just my initial response. She said, no, he's go she's gone. I had to go into the service and preach the message, knowing that this was a problem. And that Sunday night, I knew that he was going to come before the church and ask the and actually resigned that Sunday night. I preached a Sunday night message. You would not believe the number of stresses that pastors go through, and yet they still have smile. Things, oh, is everything wonderful? Every pastor I've known who've been in ministry, who has been in ministry for any length of time, has said some heavy duties, very difficult things. You can't even talk about them because they're confidential. Added to that, many other situations that come about that are, that are in some cases, part of just the sin-cursed world. Sometimes there are issues that are external, like lawsuits sometimes come against church ministries and churches and pastors. Sometimes there are family issues that come about. But again, not to feel sorry, I want you to know if you saw the other side of what pastors have to go through sometimes, you might actually be shocked unless you were there. And that's only one of the reasons why it's so important for believers to be supportive of the endangered species. You understand where I'm getting at? Now, the Apostle Paul, we know some things about him. He went through some deep waters in the, as an apostle, as a missionary. We look at him and think, wow, he's great. What a model. And he is a model. But you know as well as I do, he had many discouraging times. We talk about this. He had just come not too long before out of a prison and unjustly treated there in Philippi. Then he gets booted out because of his life is threatened, the church at Thessalonica. 
He goes to another area we know as Achaia and Athens and problem after problem. You know what he wants? He wants to hear some good news. And he's like, I would say desperate, that's probably too hard a term, but he is so anxious to hear what is happening in the church at Thessalonica. I hope it's okay. I hope these believers haven't defected. I hope, I hope this is, I hope they stay this way. I mean, he, he risked his life by going there and he wants them to be solid. He wants them to stay faithful and he cannot go there personally. So he sends Timothy, whose life apparently was not in jeopardy like his was, and he sends Timothy and just shortly after Timothy gets back, there's almost like an explosion of emotion as he thinks about this wonderful, glorious news about the church at Thessalonica. They're still strong. They haven't gone back. They're still living for God. Now, I honestly cannot tell you all that we will know when we go to heaven. I don't know how much people in heaven can look back upon earth. So I say that just to understand before I say this. Pastor Stevens and his wife, Cynthia, served here for several decades, 25 years. And they had their trials, and obviously we know God and God's providence took Pastor Stevens, promoted him to heaven. But if he was to look back at Victory Baptist Church, I think he'd want to hear some good news. I think he'd want to hear, even though I'm not there, I sure hope this church goes on and stays faithful, stays faithful to God. Now, would you think about that? When you're tempted to have morbus sabbaticus, remember I talked about that last week? That's deadly disease. When you're tempted to just let down your guard and just say, well, it's not that important. They're not going to miss me. It's Listen, you stay faithful to God. Wherever you are, stay faithful to him. Because when you stay faithful to him, it helps encourage others. Oh, okay, talked about Pastor Stevens, but others who hear about the ministry of Victory Baptist Church. So stay faithful. Now we come to this particular passage of Scripture, and the Apostle Paul in the first part of the chapter is talking about uh, really kind of like his deep desire. He yearns to be with them. He wishes he could be with them and so on. And there's just a slight shift here. He now wants to let them know that he is absolutely thrilled when he hears the news from Timothy. And he hears some very, very good news. So that brings us to this very short passage of Scripture, but nevertheless has some things, and that's the thought of encouraging your spiritual leaders as best as you possibly can. And so here I'm going to say it's like a recipe for encouraging spiritual leaders. Now, obviously your obligation to encourage Pastor Stevens uh, you know, has its limitations because he's not going to 
be able to come back and say, oh, you're doing a great job, you're doing a great job. We understand that. But there are a lot of people who know about Victory Baptist Church. They're believers who move different places. I'm sure they'd be happy to hear how things are going. But if you're going to encourage your spiritual leaders, you need to make sure that you express a sincere interest in spiritual matters. It may sound rather simplistic, but chapter six, or chapter three, verse six says this. But when now Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. He didn't say anything about wealth and how much money was in offerings or anything like that. He said, we heard good tidings about you, about your faith and love. That's the word, charity. Their reputation, their testimony was so encouraging that Paul had to say something about it. Now, it doesn't expand about it, but you know these two words, which in some respects, faith and love, kind of our summation of Christian duty, Christian responsibility. He says, basically, it's, I'm actually thrilled. I'm really thrilled. It's so exciting to me to know that you're still trusting in God. You're still following him. Satan was not victorious in their life. They were still believing in God and believing in the gospel. So here's an area that you need to think about, and that is, are you trusting God? Are you following him? Not just your feelings, not just when everything is good, not just when you have, you know, the finances are good for the church. Are you trusting God? You're saying, that's okay. It may not be all the way I'd like it to be, but that's all right. God's in charge. Are you trusting God? Well, they were. Was it easy for the Thessalonians? Oh, the Apostle Paul was going, it got real easy. No. The persecution continued to even intensify it, if we understand correctly. So he, he's so thankful for their faith. If you want to encourage spiritual leaders, make sure you're walking by faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that Cometh to God, must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you find your faith getting a little weak, go to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and see the testimonies there. But the other word, charity or love, he's encouraged, the apostle Paul's encouraged because of the love. Now, it, he doesn't specify here, but they're obviously their love for God continued. Their love for each other is, is, is there from what we can understand from the nature of the book. One secular writer of the first century said this about Christians. He said, it seems like these Christians loved each other before they even meet each other. That was a profound statement. Isn't that something like what we should have, like a testimony left behind? Man, they love each other. Boy, they get along. The world's not getting along, but they get along. So... I can't say that the Apostle Paul felt the same way when he heard about the church at Corinth. Because if you look in the beginning of the first, that first epistle, he says, I hear there's some divisions and contentions among you. And he talks about being carnal and something, but not this church. They were trusting God. They had a love for God. They had a love for each other. So you say, how can I encourage spiritual leaders? Uh, 
Make sure that your Christian life is as strong as it possibly can be by the grace of God, rooted in his word, loving him and loving one another. But I noticed something else. Have positive and kind remembrances of them. Chapter uh, 3, verse 6, the last part says, And that you, ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Hmm. Here was a practice that Timothy said was common among the Thessalonians. They remembered positively about the Apostle Paul. Oh. We're not talking about remembrance. Oh, I remember that scoundrel. Oh, yeah, I, uh, mm, uh, I don't think I better talk about that. You know, not that kind of remembrance. This was a very positive remembrance of them. And that's spelled out by the ideas. Notice what it says that you have good remembrance of us. So it was positive, it wasn't negative, it wasn't slanderous ideas or negative ideas. They had kind thoughts about them. And then the expression is longing to be with, it says desiring greatly to see us. Here was a tender yearning, the idea is a tender yearning toward an absent loved one. Now, there are a number of different things that have contributed to discouraging pastors and even discouraging a younger generation. I know very, very few young guys are interested in going to ministry today, even though I believe they love the Lord, and that's very disheartening to me. And there's a lot of contributing factors to why there's not, you know, a lot of negative things about pastors and ministry and so on. Hollywood movies haven't helped. It's nice to hear here and there are some Christian movies coming out, but the culture atheism, just the world at large. Um, sadly, but it does happen, there are pastors who have not had good conduct that create some negativity about it. But if you want to encourage a godly pastor, remember them. Now, primarily, you're going to remember them by prayer. No question about that. But if the word ever gets out, you can say, I do appreciate and have learned and have grown under the teaching and preaching of God's word. It should be a positive thing. I haven't done analysis of this, and I'm always, always glad when there is some recognition the church has for their pastor, and I've seen this happen a number of times. I've been recipient of that. But I've also heard where there have been pastors who served for years and years, and they said that they never really got any really visible signs of appreciation. Uh, you don't go that direction. Go the other direction of, like, what can I do to encourage them? Pastors live in a fishbowl, oftentimes, they say. Right? Hopefully they don't smell fishy, or they're not fishy, but they, they live in a fishbowl sometimes. And what happens sometimes is problems that occur in a church site setting oftentimes are heard by children. And sometimes the children 
can't process this right. So they're hearing about problem with this person, problem with that person. And as they're hearing about it, they're thinking, I'll never, never want to go into ministry. I'll never want to be a pastor. Now, keep this in mind. A pastor and his wife, as they are dealing with problems, difficulties in the church, have to use discretion so that does not create that kind of scenario of, like, I never want to be a pastor. And I've talked to some young people, been in some counseling situations where it took years before they were able to work through these things. But you, as an individual, you may not be any parsonage or pastor's home, but you as an individual, who when you're hearing the word of God, you're hearing, you're under ministry like that, do not allow non-discretionary gossip and slander to come out in your home at all, but especially in the presence of children who are not mature to know even how to handle it. And I'm, I'm just, you may not be, there may be some things that you have to deal with as a husband and wife, but you talk in a discretionary way in confidence and shoo the children out, say, mom and dad and I are talking, it's none of your business, get out of here, or say something kinder than that. But you know, don't talk about things that are bad things because there are seriously many, many young people who never want to be a pastor, never want to go into ministry, never want to marry a pastor because of non-discretionary, unwise, in some cases, carnal talking of believers about a pastor or church. You say, I never want to cause any damage. I hope you never want to cause any damage because we can't find any pastors. They're, it's like hard to find them. John is talking about how we put out, we put out requests. I don't know how many sites do you put on. 16, 17 sites. I'm in contact with 120 uh, pastors and, and, and contact with colleges and so on. And to a person, every one of them said, we can't find pastors. And every once in a while, every once in a while, God sends somebody along. Now, this is not to discourage you in the search for a pastor. I don't mean it that way at all. The reality is we have to somehow rather change the environment where it's positive, where our children look forward to going to church because we look forward to going to church and we don't make a hundred different excuses about why we're not with the people of God. There is a huge tsunami that's been going on for a long period of time and now it's getting, it's getting so desperate it's like churches are closing because they don't have shepherds that we got planned to be. Now, because of that picture that I'm creating to you, what I want to do is encourage you to do everything you possibly can, positive, to move it into a different direction. So, have positive and kind remembrances then. And the Apostle Paul says, basically, I am so, so, so encouraged when I hear of your faith and I hear of your love. And you really do want to see us and, and you long to be with us. I want you to see something else. 
remain steadfast in the faith. Now, somewhat alluded to, but it's expanded upon a little bit in verses 7 through 10. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. I mean, the superlatives are just spilling forth at the Apostle Paul as he hears this phenomenal news. The church at Thessalonica is thriving. I mean, they are moving forward. This is amazing. It's just wonderful. You know what it did for the Apostle Paul and his co-workers? It lightened their burden. Yeah, they were comforted. They were encouraged. You will never know what this will do for a pastor, especially in seasons of afflictions and distresses. Do pastors experience some trials? Oh, yeah, physical infirmity sometimes. Deep heartbreaks. I kind of alluded to this at the beginning. Grieving the loss of loved ones. Sometimes there are financial problems. Sometimes there's weakness in faith. Life-changing decisions, family problems. Sometimes have to deal with people who are rebellious or sometimes they're personally attacked. I've had some letters where I thought, man, I shouldn't even be handling these letters without asbestos gloves on them. I mean, this is bad. I remember one time I got a letter. Somebody was so angry at me. Uh, there, I counted. I prayed through that one. God maybe got me through. Start thinking whether you're in the tribulation period or not when you get letters like this. I underlined 32 allegations against me. 32. Uh, what do you do? Have you ever had a letter where you had 32 allegations against you that were false? And you still have to get in the pulpit and preach? Pastors have problems, and this doesn't mean every single day. But I'll tell you what, in, when I was in full-time ministry, and I'm kind of quasi in full-time ministry, but just about every single week, my wife and I have to deal with problems. And we still, we still do. We're counseling people, not just here, but outside. And uh, they're, they're, they're trials. But while you're going through those trials, it's so wonderful. It's so encouraging when somebody says, it's just something like, I'm praying for you, brother. Uh, I got to tell you about a lady named Ethel Kramer. When I was working as assistant pastor, Senior pastor asked me to visit Ethel. Ethel was had crippling arthritis. Now, I'm a young guy, not long in ministry, and uh, she was bedridden and couldn't do really much. And I went, how am I going to encourage her? And I sat by her bed many, many decades ago, and she was glad I came and to see her. And she says, I can't do anything really much. She said, but... I have a tape recorder, and I'm able to listen to the entire Bible through uh, four times a year. And she said, the only other thing I can do is pray for, pray for you and the other pastor and ministry I was part of. She says, that's basically all I can do. I went away from there so humbled, I thought, you know, I was trying to encourage her, and hopefully in some ways I did, but I went away so encouraged because she did what she could and prayed for me. And I don't think she, at the time, realized what an effect that has had on me throughout the years. Mind you, three or four decades ago, you know, a long time, but I still remember this. I think, how could I ever complain again? 
Now, the flip side of this is even though it may not be a whole lot that you can do, but one thing that can be an encouragement to that pastor, assistant pastor, whatever, you hear somebody, is pray for them. I was kind of wrestling through some issues about whether God wanted me to be a pastor or not. And I had laymen in church who were hoping I would be that. And I was not in full-time ministry at the time. I was in college, Bible college. And I had numerous believers who said to me, Paul, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God's will be done for you. No, I don't know. I don't remember any of them handing me a $50 bill, $100 bill, which I would probably gladly have taken. But what encouraged me was they were supporting me. They were praying for me. It lightened, it lightens the burden, and it was lightening the burden of the Apostle Paul when he's going through these distresses. He's, uh, look, look at it. Go back to this again. This passage. We were comforted over you in all our affliction. It's like, wow, the weight is taken off our shoulders. It will make them feel like life is worth living. Verse 8, notice what it says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul was living. It wasn't like he was thinking about doing it, taking his life or anything like that. But it's like, wow, this is worth it. This is worth it. The heart of the ministry of faithful pastors is to have believers walk faithfully with the Lord. And if you do, you'll be a great encouragement to them and perhaps you might even stimulate and encourage some young person to uh, go into ministry. It will be a cause for them to give thanks. Verse 9 speaks of this. He gave thanks to God, and there was rejoicing there. There was this tremendous, deep gratitude. You know, every, every pastor is made of the same kind of thing that you are. We're sinners saved by grace, endeavoring to preach a perfect word. And we need help. Pastors need help. They need encouragement. Yes, sure, financially, but beyond that. And you will actually, you'll create in, in some way or other a godly attitude by your attitude toward them. It will be a cause for them to give thanks and then it will motivate them to continue to have a spiritual concern for you. It's like a rebound effect. It's, it's kind of like this. The Apostle Paul was so interested in them. And he wants to know. And Timothy is sent. And Timothy finds out that they really like the Apostle Paul. And they really miss him. And they're thinking about him. And the Apostle Paul then in, in, in response to that says, And then we're going to do this back to you. So you got this action-reaction about good, positive Action and reaction. How are you encouraging spiritual leaders, or how have you done this in the past? I wonder if you ever have. Hopefully you have. Hopefully you continue to. There's a lot of problems in this world. One man said to his friend, I, I, I know what's wrong with people these days. What do you think? I, I think it's because of people's ignorance and apathy. And what do you think? He said to his friend. 
His friend said, I don't know and I don't care. I hope you are not in that kind of mindset. Well, who cares about pastors? They pay them so well. We, you know, they got an easy life. All they have to do is go to Reader's Digest or Google something, whatever, and they can find a sermon in there. I mean, we have artificial intelligence these days. We're talking about this. How you can plug in a few basic information, a little bit of the text, where you're going to preach from. Artificial intelligence can pump out an entire introduction and the entire message that you can use to preach in a sermon. Now, I just want to clarify things. I did not get my message this morning from artificial intelligence, but it's absolutely amazing what things are. And we have, we have though, a tremendous need. I couldn't tell you how my heart yearns this years ago that seemed like there were lots and lots of young men interested in ministry. I, it's like, where are they? Where are they? And there are all factors tied into it. And not just one thing, and there's no real silver bullet, but I want to tell you something. I'm going to encourage you to do your dead level best to encourage every person that you have contact with or are able to have contact with, missionary, pastor, evangelist, whatever, to do everything in your power to live godly, live by faith, live in love. Have a kind remembrance of them. Every once in a while, remember them. Okay? And then it will lighten their burden, and perhaps it will encourage somebody to say, yes, I'd like to be in ministry. Now, can I just, as I close out this message, just say this. God is very, very gracious, and, and with all the trials that pastors will go through and, and do indeed go through, God is very gracious and he brings just the right time, just at the right place, somebody come along and say something that just lifts your spirit. Uh, my, my mentor used to say, and he had a very large church, um, and he said he had some really discouraging times, but he said whenever somebody would send me a card or a note that was positive, he said, I stuck it in a file. And he said, when I was really feeling down in the dumps, he says, I'd pull that file out and I'd start going through these cards. And he said, it just, the sun started shining. I realized God was still there. It might be just a small thing, just a word. It may have nothing to do with monetary support, although certainly God wants that when there's needs there. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying God's will be done. Think about it. When is the last time you made a very dedicated, not pharisaical, not wanting any show, dedicated, purposeful encouragement to another pastor? I'm going to tell you, if you haven't done that for a while, there are a lot of discouraged pastors, and they need believers' help. They need encouragement. They need prayer. Well, I'm praying for them. Well, tell them that you're praying for them and mean it. And you know what? In the end, if you do your part, 
you'll move the direction of the future of not just your life spiritually, but the lives of other people as well. We'll come back full circuit. Encouraging, supporting endangered species. The next time you see something on television or you're reading something, say, wow, I didn't know that animal was endangered species. I hope it triggers your mind to like, oh, not only the rhino that lives in the Java rhino that lives in the island of Indonesia, but boy, there are pastors that are endangered as well. And I need to pray for them. Remember the passage of scripture where the Lord said, you know, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth labors in the field. I don't know what I can do. I don't, well, we talked about some of those things. Pray, 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 pray. Because their needs are so great. God help us. Help me to be encouragement to anybody. Uh, uh, I was thinking about ministry, Lord. Some might be here. Even think about what they can do to help in some way, Lord. And I pray that each one of us will do our part. Help us, Lord, to not be so caught up with our own problems and our own troubles that we don't encourage somebody else, especially those who are uh, in places of leadership spiritually. I want to thank you for so many here at Vickery who have been encouraging to my wife and I, and I, I thank you. I know that brings great joy to our hearts. I know that. It can resonate with the Apostle Paul to see people faithful and even in spite of circumstances, still living for you, Lord. This is what it's all about. And I thank you, dear God, for those believers. And I pray that you continue to help them be faithful. And Lord, if there's areas, Lord, where we failed you, we thank you that we can come to you and find forgiveness. And we thank you for your spirit that puts resolve in our hearts to help and minister to others as well. And even in these quiet, these moments, may we reaffirm our desire to be an encouragement to those that you've placed above us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Would you take your hymnals, please? And let's close out uh, this service with 434. Would you stand, please, as we sing, I Would Be Like Jesus. Sing the first and second verses. Earthly pleasures vainly call me, I would be like Jesus. Enthrall me, I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus is my song In the home and in the throng Be like Jesus all day long Be, would be like Jesus Second is the last He has broken every fetter I would be like Jesus that my soul may serve him better, I would be 
like Jesus. He like Jesus is my song in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. A couple closing remarks. Some of you have heard of Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts lived hundreds of years ago who was a phenomenal hymn writer, extremely gifted. And for a while, for a while, he took a pastorate. And he left the pastorate because he said it was too stressful. Now I'm talking about like a phenomenally talented person. That just gives, I was just reading this just recently, but it gives you a little glimpse sometimes it can be very stressful. That's why I want you to keep praying, all right? Pray about this. Now, a couple closing things here. Uh, please pray for Randy Meckes. His address is back there. You can send a card to him. Ladies, uh, fellowship uh, is this Thursday here at 10 o'clock. And uh, ladies, you're welcome to come here. Uh, please come enjoy that time of fellowship. I will be doing Sunday school next week uh, in place of Kurt. will be away. And I'm going to be doing something kind of maybe a little strange, sounds a little strange, but giving God the glory after you die, or after death. And that, it, maybe you never heard of studying this, but we're going to look at this, like, how can I best prepare for death? Yes, but how can I best prepare to give a capstone of my life, uh, leave a legacy, the right kind of legacy, for future who may be there? Now, I have some things on the back table which are not directly related to that study. I'll have another outline next week. But there is an article that I wrote a long time ago because I had so many questions come to me about cremation. It's a somewhat extensive article that I wrote back there. I have some more material. I have more questions about that. The title is, Why I Do Not Believe in Cremation. And I tell you what, you study the Bible carefully, and you'll find you may end up resonating with me. Hopefully you do. Almost everybody I've talked about the subject while I was going through this, this study I asked them about it, and I said, what do you think about this? Almost everyone said, you know, gave an opinion about it, yay or nay. And it was almost never did anybody I talked to, Christians, I'm talking pastors, who said, well, I never studied that in the light of the Bible. Or I need to study that in the light of the Bible. I did a study, and I put these questions, I were supposed to sift everything. So when he would take that article, and... Uh, don't let it scare you. If you have some questions about it, uh, we're not being critical. You may have had relatives, and you may have already made some things that you have no control over. We're not talking about that. But you need to sift everything through the scriptures. And just because a culture accepts something as popular does not necessarily mean it's right. So that's it. There's also something else. It's just a sheet that where you can fill out some data for your family. Uh, it's not a will. There's nothing legal about it. Obviously, it's nice if you sign it. But put in there what you would like at your funeral. I could not tell you how many times I've met with family members that we have no idea what they wanted. Or then there's quibbling back and forth, like one wants this, one wants that, and so on. That, and, and here I'm in the middle of the thing trying to be an umpire and straighten it. I can't straighten it out. It's best for you to decide ahead of time as best as you can what you would like. I would like the gospel preached. I'd like the song, hymn sung. Or you'd like, you know, I'd like the, the scriptures read or something. 
this is all she just so people, if you leave this earth, maybe quicker than you thought, they'll know what to do, all right? So I, it's something I've done for years, take that. And also, one last thing I have, there are still many, many books back there. Pastor Stevens had a, a very large library, and a number of you took some before. We've got a whole bunch more back there. You can take boxes of them if you want to. We've got empty boxes. Uh, we want it, we'll go leave them out this week and next week, find something useful, and take it with you. It's free. Uh, Cynthia wanted me to distribute the books out. We're giving some to some guys who uh, can use them at a school over in India, some of the theology books and so on. So they're back there. We'll be back there this week, maybe next week, and then we'll disperse. Well, I hope you have a great day in the Lord. We can rejoice in Him. We have a great God, don't we? Man, I mean, there's a lot of scares out there, you know. There's, oh, big balloons going across. Well, God knew that balloon was going across. I, I'm not sure what the solution is. I like to see balloons. I'm not sure what I want to see Chinese balloons going over. But, but yeah, God's in charge. I mean, there's all these things going out, you know, like the sky is falling type thing. Well, if the sky falls, God's allowed it to fall. So let's just keep our eyes on him all the time. Please do that, and uh, you'll, you'll live a happy, happy Christian life. Right? Like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. Aren't you glad you're saved? How many would rather be here than in prison? Hey, I'd rather be here. Okay. Lord, we thank you for these people and help us to love you. You're so good to us. You bless us in so many ways. May we, this week, keep our eyes on you. When the troubles come, disappointments, bad news, decisions, you're there with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you.